Being an expert sucks. As a teacher of spiritual intelligence and emotional health, I get cornered into being the guy who has all the answers. I'd like to take this opportunity to make a confession. I don't. What I do have are convictions. I have theories. I have questions. I find myself looking around and I'm like, we can't stay here. Stop setting up your tent. We can't stay here. Through my journey, it's become evident that being a participant is no longer enough. It's time to become reformers. These are my confessions. To get deeper in this conversation, visit MikeMayashiro.com. Hey guys, quick disclaimer. We've got a cool interview today that was so worthwhile that I had to get this out, but I gotta let you know, I interviewed this guy on Zoom and there was an internet connection problem. I think it was on his end for the record, but I think we had a a few different times where the connection got kind of garbled, but the content was so good, I still wanted to share it with you. So just emotionally prepare yourself for there to be a couple of moments along the interview where it's gonna be hard to understand him. You might miss a few words here or there, but for the most part, it's here and this is worth listening to. So I, I thought it was worth it for us to push it forward and get this out to you guys. I hope that you're going to be okay with it and I hope that you enjoy this. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Confessions of a Reformer podcast. I'm your host, Mike Mayashiro, and we've got a special guest on today, another interview. I'm excited for you guys to get to hear from this guy what we're going to talk about. Um, we might bounce around a little bit, but I think this is going to be functionally practical and helpful for everyone. So, um, buckle up. But before we get into that, I did want to mention, um, as you guys know, the saga with my niece Fox continues. Um, I, I was making an effort to be at her house probably on virtually every day for a while there. And it was, we had such great traction that I haven't seen her for, I think three days now in this moment, which is not good. So I need to get over there today at some point and remedy that. Um, she was great with me picking her up and being around and whatever. And then the last time I saw her, I picked her up and she immediately started crying. She was fine until she was in the air. And then I don't know, everything just fell apart. But then when we were had distance, it was fine. And she was super inclusive and we prayed at dinner together and she, she prayed with us for the first time. It was so cute. We all held hands and she held my finger and then we were done praying and she kept holding my hand or my finger for like another two minutes afterward. And I was like, Fox, we're done praying. We said, amen. We can, we can move on. And she didn't like, it was hilarious. She didn't get it, but that was super cute. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> okay. So, um, you guys today on this podcast, we have Tynan with me. Um, Tynan, actually, I would love for you to be able to introduce, uh, just tell everyone where you're from, who you are, but also more importantly, how we got connected. Cause I think you actually have more details on that than I do. Um, you want to say hello to everybody? <laughs> you know, yeah. Hi, my name is Tynan Allen. I, um, that's a great question, Mike. I, I think it was simply that I stumbled into your class as a visitor of Bethel. I was there for about a month and had went for breakfast with, you know, a buddy that I met there who we were not really friends. We were just getting to know each other. And I was sort of this weirdo that stumbled into the Bethel community, having been connected very tangentially for years, but hadn't ever been there before. And, you know, pop down to Reading, a friend from my city where I live in Calgary, Canada, if anyone knows where that is, Banff is the nearest, you know, place that a lot of people come to. Um, and, and so I was down there visiting, went to a couple conferences, took in some BSSM classes and stumbled into your, your room. 
And I think I had heard of you, maybe had listened to a couple of your podcast episodes before, but then I just was like, I gotta, I gotta meet this guy. I gotta see what he's up to. He's this business dude. He's this spiritual leader. He's a spirit coach. All these words that made sense to me, but weren't commonplace. And so, you know, that's where I, I stumbled into your room. And I think I just kind of tracked you down and did the thing that you're not supposed to do, which is like basically run down the teacher. And I just was like, hi, I want to interview my, you on my podcast. Can I come over in a couple of days? And you're like, uh, that sounds insane. Let's do it. And, you know, next thing I know, we're like recording you as a guest on my podcast in your roommate's bedroom i think at your house or something yep, like that. i think that's true yeah so yeah. you know and and i loved it you know it was you know kind of aligned like i'm you know both this guy in ministry but also in the marketplace and i just loved hearing you know your thoughts on how work is spiritual and spiritual is work and that kind of thing so mm. i guess that's how we got to know each other totally yeah and can you remind me, was it Discerning of Spirits? Was that the class you walked in on? I think so. Yes, okay. I think so. <laughs> nice. Okay. So, Tynan, for everyone else who's listening, you want to just give them a brief little intro on mm -hmm. who you are and what you're about and, yeah, what you do? Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, my name's Tynan Allen. It's a pretty weird name. And uh, <laughs> my story <laughs> um, is... I mean, complex, I guess, in that I have had a very all over the place career. I studied kinesiology, which is, if you don't know what that is, it's basically like preventative health and wellness. So um, a lot of people use it as like a stepping stone degree for, you know, physio, med school, that kind of stuff. I was going to maybe become a doctor. I had done three and a half years of cancer research in pediatrics, so children's cancer. And when I didn't get into medical school, I decided to start my own company instead of continuing to try and get into med school. And that led me down a path of founding my first company when I was 23 years old and um, ran that for four years. It started as like a wellness coaching business where I would work with executives on their health and well-being and just help them kind of figure out their lives um, because you know that was more problematic than them just getting to the gym or eating healthy mm. and that transformed itself just through the conversations I was having with these executives that they you know a lot of the things that would stunt their own well-being was just that they had really poor company cultures so I sort of shifted my business into becoming a company culture transformation consulting kind of practice mm. so I did that and then went and worked at uh, this big company called Deloitte. Um, there's like 280,000 people that work at this company globally. Like it's just a massive arc of an organization. And um, did not stay there very long because it was way too big for me. Um, and then that kind of, you know, was where I realized I really love tech and I love startups. And so went and just, you know, finished up working at a, uh, kind of my second startup just a couple of months ago and kind of onto new things, have my own podcast, do still some coaching and consulting on the side and, and also, you know, spend quite a bit of my time in the ministry world. I'm a worship leader. I've sung all around the world and love doing that too. So it's fun to kind of always be in the ministry and in the marketplace. Yeah. That's totally. I love it. That's awesome. 
Okay, cool. So to get us started, listen, we've got lots of things we want to talk about today. Um, to get us started, I want to hear from your journey of working with these execs on their health mm -hmm. and their lifestyle and their culture, whatever. <clears throat> but even before working with them in particular, and maybe just for humans in general, I guess I want to hear from your from your sphere of expertise in a, on a in a broad stroke. What what are some things you ran into as like common hindrances to people's mm -hmm. well being that seem to be like surprising to you, or you weren't expecting that? Uh, people generally just don't know about, but that we all kind of, right, you right. know, have like challenges with. Do you have any notes on that? I mean, what comes to mind is how much of a bigger deal people make health activities. So, you know, what I would say is a health activity is eating well or exercising. Those are, you know, two core basic things. And those two things people freak out about. And yet they need to be part of your daily life. So I find that that's an interesting, like the relationship we have with positive health outcomes or health activities, we make it so extreme. We psych ourselves up about it so commonly. And that's our biggest barrier. I just see this across the board. I don't think this is news to anyone, but the more that I worked with people to help them start to understand that like, you do so many things in your life already that let's say take one hour. And, and yet when it comes to health and wellness, something else that takes an hour in that kind of category, we, it makes it, our brain somehow process it in a way that makes it seem like it's a 12 hour process. That's going to cost us our lives, <laughs> you know, like going to the gym versus, you know, is about an hour and 15 minutes on average is what it, it'll take a person. Whereas most people watch two to three hours of programming, whether it's Netflix, YouTube, you know, whatever in a day. And so, but that's really easy for us, but just putting on gym clothes, walking to the gym, going there three times a week is next to impossible for the majority of human beings. So these are things that I just find interesting that I like to just always try and help people put into perspective that they'll be, you know, mad at themselves that they're not healthy. They, you know, they start to feel so much shame and hate about their own body. And yet it's not as inaccessible as they believe. Maybe that's a place yeah. to start, I, I guess. Okay. Like, yeah, how, totally. Do you are see you that? For sure. And you're saying that this is more of like a mental thing than anything. You're saying it's like an emotional or mental block in their head versus it actually being a difficult or time consuming mm -hmm. thing. Right. Right. So I like think a, again, the other thing that's so interesting is people will, people will often think too, that it's just so out of reach and they don't realize how many things in their life that they hate that are useless to them, that don't provide any benefit to them that they do willingly and then they, they choose not to do the thing that's this healthy thing that they really want, but yet they are afraid of it. So mm -hmm. yeah, I find that really interesting. Totally. When you're working with the executives, was there a common problem you ran into with them in general that you're like, man, it seems like I'm less here for my knowledge on health and wellness and more about like motivation? Yeah. Did that come up? Yeah. Motivation, uh, ske scheduling. Okay. Scheduling was so common. Uh -huh. It was, I ended up being sometimes there, I would have to work with their personal assistant more than I worked with them 
because they really actually were very not in control of their own schedules. Mm. And this is something that's becoming a really common thing in like, you know, health and wellness research, but also in like company culture, you know, future of work, workplace, you know, 2, 2.0, 4.0 research. This is coming up a ton where mm. we're starting to see how many people that work that, you know, respond to surveys about work and their experience at work are saying how draining it is that they have no control over their schedule. And there's places like, for example, in Finland, they've actually legally changed things where now if you work in Finland, you are allowed to change your start and end time up to three hours either way based on your life. Which is crazy. Like, literally, if your company says that you work nine to five, you can change that, you know, from nine to 7am till three, you know, three. So that changes the executive leaders, you know, control over their employees. Mm. But also there's a lot of executives that have been facing the same pressure. And it's actually in their best interest to start to look at these things to start to look at these options. And it all works together, right? We also know that for example, autonomy is one of the highest drivers of productivity. If you feel autonomous at work, if you feel like you, and autonomy is really basically like I can make my own decisions or I have something, you know, where I have control in my sphere of influence to make a choice, a decision, a, you know, just even to just have some control over what I do with my day once that happens and is in place and someone can really feel that they instantly become a more productive employee. So it's within the company's best interest to start to think about these things. But again, what's so funny is that for a long time, we didn't connect autonomy with also the autonomy to decide that I need to go and do a workout at lunch and I won't have any repercussions to my job, to, you know, myself as you know, my performance, um, I, I won't have that if I don't, you know, do that. So what, what I find really interesting is that in the work, like, again, with my workplace culture work, we'd often see executives saying one thing and doing another, right? We see this in leadership across the board. They're like, we really care about our employees' well-being. And then you go and talk to the employees and you're like, okay, like my company says that. It might say it on the careers website when I was applying for this job, I was told the company I'm working for is into this. They, they even have a gym at work or they give me money in my health spending account to spend on a gym membership or, you know, get massages or whatever. But then the, the behind the scenes culture of the organization often looks a lot different that when you actually start to say, hey, I prioritize my health. I actually need to come in an hour late for work because I, you know, and and even the way I just said that is wrong. Like I'll, I'll correct myself because I just said late, right? And so late is negative. Late is al almost penalizable if that's a word. Um, there could be penalties for lateness. And yet when, you're, when, when you need to just know that, you know, you've got to get your kids off to school and then take the first hour to hit the gym because you know you won't get it later in the day, that person's actually going to be a better employee they're going to be more productive. They're going to be more, more focused. Even like, for example, there's a research study that I was reading quite recently. It came out in 2019. And it talks about 
um, presenteeism versus absenteeism. So I don't know, if, have you heard this language before, Mike? Not. Okay, so basically, you've probably heard of like absenteeism. So that would be like, you're yeah. not at work yeah, right. or you're not at ministry school or whatever. Um, you know, how many absent days do you have in a year? But what the, the thing that's actually more profound and actually more costly is presenteeism. So basically people that are at work looking like they're working, but are actually not doing anything and almost always are being counterproductive to the workplace. And so what happens is that we see drastic reductions in presenteeism. And again, it's a weird word because even when I still hear it, I hear it almost positively, right. but it's actually a negative word. So presenteeism, it's like you're present, but you're not all there is yeah. just a good way to say it. Mm. So when people that, people that don't eat healthy are 66 more, sorry, 66% more likely to, be pre, to experience presenteeism at work. People that don't exercise are 50% more likely. So if you're an exerciser, you're 50% less likely to be someone that comes to work and basically isn't all there. And if you don't eat healthy, it's even worse. So it's in the company's best interest to do everything they can to create an environment where health is prioritized and you, you get off the hook from any sort of, you know, dings or whatever, if you're doing what you need to do to stay healthy. Mm. And so I, you know, I find this really interesting as well because it relates to our spirituality, right? It relates to, you know, the things that, like I, I, I have it with me. It's actually Benny Johnson's book, Healthy and Free. I don't know if anyone's read it, but it's so unique because it's both a book about, you know, healthy living. And it almost sounds like she's a health researcher. You know, she sounds like a kinesiologist as she's writing the book, but she's been a pastor, you know, her whole life and has, you know, this amazing relationship with Jesus. And so I find it interesting when I read her book and compare it to maybe even my knowledge of being a kinesiologist, because she's like, we're body, soul, spirit. And these things are always intertwined. You're never body, soul, and not spirit. You're never spirit, soul, and not body. You always are combined. We actually talked about this when you were on my podcast, because I kind of asked you, I was like, I, I struggle with this whole notion that, you know, corporations across the board will say certain things. Again, you go back to their careers website or when you get hired and they're like, here's our company culture. We believe that you should bring your whole self to work. And yet then we actually exclude that your whole self involves your spirit and you're, but you're not allowed to talk about anything spiritual at work. And that actually then, therefore, if we relate that you're an intertwined being of body, soul, spirit, you therefore that's impeding your health because it's part of your health. So maybe I'll start. It's funny just how much this all goes together. Um, and, you know, a lot of the time we don't see the linkages and, and, but yeah, we're starting to, we're, we're definitely starting to. Mm. Nice. That's so interesting. I love that. Okay. So the, first of all, I wanted to ask when you're starting talking about the absentee and presenteeisms, how did you get in? You're saying when you're working with the execs, you're like, oh man, a big problem we're running into is the culture of the company. So you're wanting to get like more to the behind right. the scenes of why a company is run the way that it is. Right. So does it, right. it sounds like maybe working on the health of an individual feels like it's more addressing a symptom 
versus looking at the culture of a company might hmm. more address the root of where these things might be coming from. Is that your mindset on that? Yeah, I think it was always an issue. Like I was trying to deal with surface level challenges, but instead I had to go deeper. And that was the only way that my clients were ever like, it was in my own best interest to go deeper because I was just trying to make it in the world of my own small business. Mm. Right. So I was like, Oh, I'm not breaking through. I'm having clients cancel. I'm losing money. Mm. And I was like, why can't I get through to these people? And, and even, you know, how was I going to get through? I was going to, I was going to make them healthier. Right. That was my job. And yet they weren't. And I was like, why is it that my tactics aren't working? Well, actually my tactics, there was nothing wrong with my tactics. It's that we never had time to even discuss my tactics because there, there was another issue. They wouldn't make it to the workout. Like it's the scheduling or it's the, you know, personnel, which is such an old word, but you know, the employee and the people problems that they had with their, you know, teams. And so it was those deeper issues, which I kind of had to learn that the overarching term for that was the company culture, the environment, the the workplace, you know, dynamics. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so, so when you did make that, how recent was that switch when you started going after the culture? That would have been 2016. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's been a minute now. 2016. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and I mean, this space is still evolving a ton, you know, like there's, I, I was just in a meeting with a, a guy from a company called Pecan and they are an HR tech software that basically companies run inside of their organizations to, you know, assess the company culture. And they have, you know, all these sort of evidence-based points that say, you know, if a company reports on XYZ metric, then the culture is good. And if it's, if they report badly on, you know, whether it's, I feel autonomous or I feel like my manager cares about me, or I feel like I understand the company vision, or there's, you know, my manager helps me understand what's going to help me succeed. So they take all these sort of data points, put them together, and that sort of gives you, you know, many different scores on how you're doing with building your company culture. And even what's so funny is what I, you know, was saying earlier that, you know, we're slowly catching on that there is a connection between our work, our health, our well-being, and our productivity. Last year, Pecan, the same company that I was meeting with, they produced a report that said employee concern about well-being in the workplace increased 17% globally last year. So there's an, a heightened awareness of this. And I actually would you know, posit that God has a big hand in that. I think that he has seen our world start to become so unwell that he's doing something about it. And he's changing hearts. He's reigniting a passion for, for health and well-being in his people. And I think that that's, I mean, his people work. <laughs> that's what most of us do all day long, every day. And so I love to see those connections as well. Mm, nice. Okay. From what you've been going after in that space, what is the, have you seen any market improvement from your personal application to working with people in the corporate world, anything in particular you're noticing like, man, I think I've started to find traction or breakthrough in this area when it comes to addressing, mm. like, have you been able to shift culture? Or are you more having to work with the individual? Cause it seems like if you don't have access to the top and the way things, decisions are being made from the top, you have to work from within and with individuals. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think 
in organizations, what we often forget is how powerful the individual is in an organization. Sometimes we look at it and say, okay, this, like I, you know, my experience at Deloitte, right? Big ship, big yacht, big arc. <laughs> and you can often feel as an employee of those organizations that you don't have a say. It's sort of like the same thing as, you know, voting, right? Like, okay, big election. Does it really matter if I show up to vote? And yet it does in this weird, weird way of this individual to the big. And, and I think what's happening is that, again, as people are starting to even have their jobs be put on the line, they're starting to clue in to the fact that the reason their jobs are on the line is because they're not performing well in their jobs. So then they're motivated, actually. They're realizing that the reason they're not performing well is because they're burnt out. You know, you cannot, burnout is like the ultimate full health failure, right? It's a body, a spirit, and a soul experience. And I think, but, but everyone experiences burnout individually. So I, I think what I'm trying to say is that when people start to raise their hands and be brave and say, hey, I need support. I need help. I am not experiencing well-being. I'm really struggling with this. And I therefore can't work in an environment in, anymore where I, I'm not allowed to prioritize it, right? I can't work in an environment where you're saying, like I went, said earlier, where you're saying this one thing where I'm allowed to do this, but my manager doesn't let me or penalizes me or, you know, makes jokes about how I take an afternoon run or gives me a weird performance review compared to my colleagues because he looks at them as working harder than I am. But yet long-term, I'm actually going to be a better employee for you. So you just need mm -hmm. to, you know, see the data, see the results, see the research that's saying this and believe that I also as an individual am doing this. So I, and, and it goes back to like probably one thing that I came to a, a realization is that, company culture isn't really a thing. As much as I might be a consultant in the area, I have a podcast about company culture. I don't really believe that company culture is a thing because it never can be one behemoth culture. There's always a micro culture. There's always mini cultures. And I think we all can see this. You know, we can see this, whatever environment you're in, you know, you might go to a church and it might feel a certain way. There might be you know, similarities to the vibe of the church. But there's cliques, there's small units, there's the worship team has a different culture than the, you know, intercessors, than the, and, and it's <laughs> the same at work. The finance team versus the, you know, product management team versus whatever. There's microcultures and those need to be addressed. And when you can actually start to be okay with that and not feel like you need to fully have this, uh, uniform culture across the board. And you can just say, instead of that, we're going to focus on making healthy culture for this team, for this manager, for this leader and his people that report to him or her. If we can focus there, then we start to see that spin into health across the organization. Hmm. So it sounds like you're running into the, one of your challenges that seems to come up a lot in the midst of all this is I don't know if prejudice is the right word or stigma against people who prioritize their health in the mm. midst of the productive environment of being at work. 
it sounds like Correct. you're saying there's an attitude that stigmatizes prioritizing an individual's health and well-being in the context of work because it seems like it's taking away from their productivity and you're saying like that's actually adding to their ability to be productive we just need to shift our mindset right. there is that right 100 percent. yeah i see it all the time you talk to anyone that is a healthy person at work and they will say that they've experienced some shape or form of pushback of resistance of you know needing to prioritize their job and even like sometimes it has to be again the word performative gets thrown around a lot but you sometimes almost have to be performative at work in order to let's say get ahead or see your career progress mm. because you know sometimes you have to show this you know sort of machismo i love my job i'm passionate and excited and mm. i'm going to earn favor you know sort of thing and as long as you do that, you get ahead. And if you don't do that and, it, and your manager, let's say, does look at you and is like, oh, well, you know, it's 2 p.m. Where the heck are they? They're slacking off. You know, it's, it's pretty interesting how that can just happen. And I actually think that this is why it's really healthy for our world. I mean, again, I'm not trying to at all get into COVID conspiracy or did God cause COVID and all that stuff. That's not where I'm going. But there's an interesting, you know, benefit to how much we've progressed as companies across the board now that so many, you know, billions of people have been forced to work from their homes because you don't have a manager or a leader seeing when you're working. You can work, you can show productivity, but it's not this breathing down your neck approach. And so you, there's a lot of people who are actually like, we're now seeing productivity going up and it's so crazy that in a pandemic when there's mass fear and literal death and illness and all these horrible things the workplace there's like many reports that are coming out with surveys of thousands of companies where people are saying my employees are more productive right now and it has to do with both you know, the amount of time people get back from commutes. I mean, I'm thankful I live in a city that doesn't have a crazy commute, but you know, there's millions of people that live in the Singapore's and the New York's and the London's and the LA's. These people commute for two to three hours a day, right? So then factor that into also parenting and also trying to then eat healthy and, you know, work out. Of course, then it feels like there's a lot less time in the day. So it's interesting how, you know, as we progress to, what is the future of work? Of course it has to, we, we've been saying for decades that it needs to be more flexible. It needs to be not nine to five. It needs to have, you know, elements of stuff that you can do at your home while still being able to have the flexibility and the option to come in when you really need to. And, you know, maybe you do need some heads, heads down time work at an office away from your kids or away from the dishes that are looming in the kitchen sink. Yeah. But, but there's this element of autonomy, flexibility, and our world getting on that page of like health needs to be prioritized. People don't need to be watched in order to be able to work. Mm. Interesting. Totally. So the pragmatist in me wants to ask, uh, especially based on your own research and experience in this particular subject, for those listeners who are checking in right now, who are employees in a corporate job or, you know, office mm -hmm. job or wherever, any kind of hacks or tips you would give to them on um, ways, even if they're not in like 
top level management or leadership hacks you would tell them or tips or advice you'd give them on how they can positively manage themselves in this space, moving toward caring for themselves, increasing their productivity, even if they're in an environment that doesn't necessarily respect or appreciate it the way you're talking about. Yeah. I think again, if you can always, every business leader always is thinking about the bottom line, right? And if you can go, there's enough research out there. Like I'll give you one statistic. Burnout is estimated to cost the global economy up to three to three point four billion each year. So $323 billion every year is attributed to just people's burnout. So if you can go to your manager and be like, I'm approaching burnout, you know, I'm, I, and I don't want that to happen. So I know that this is going to cost us. I know that this is going to cost me performance. And I'm, I'm really just honestly feeling, I mean, it's, you know, the person that I, I love is, uh, her name's, I believe, Kim um, Scott. And she wrote a book called Radical Candor, um, kind of well-known in the business world now. And it really is these really deep, honest, intense conversations that are not full of anything fluffy or BS. It's just like, here's how it is straight. And if you can you know, try your best to have that radically candid conversation with your manager, with your leader, and just say, you know what, I'm feeling this way. I want to, you know, prove to you that I'm still working really hard and that I love my job and that I can do it very well, but I'm not feeling like I have, you know, permission to exercise or do what I need to do or, you know, pray during the day or whatever. Mm. And, and I, something's getting in the, in the way. Uh, how can we make this work? And, and ask your leader, right? Like present it as a question. Mm-hmm. Go to them saying, hey, you've got a problem. You think this is a solution. I think this is actually what's best for the company and for my performance here at this company. If you go with that heart posture to them, they're gonna, it's gonna click. And if it doesn't, I, I think then, you know, there's a lot of people that are hiring right now. <laughs> nice, okay. Nice. Interesting. And then also when it comes to um, people just looking after general, after their general wellness in their lifestyles and adjusting things, even if it's workplace or not workplace related, any tips or advice you'd give to people for, um, you know, just caring for their own health in the midst of being a productive member of society and everything they're involved in. Um, Obviously we know exercising, eating healthy, anything you would add to that or like tweaks you'd make to that? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, again, what I started with was that whole element of like, we psych ourselves up way too much for it. And it's like, I hate to just be so cliche, but it's just doing it. You know, it's just simply doing the little things and starting. I think most people, when you ask them and and research shows this, most people, when when you look at their lives, don't exercise and just doing twice a week is way better than doing none and most people don't allow themselves permission to you know they despise the small beginnings Mm. (laughs) literally and i think that that's super important to just say again and and you can almost bet based on statistics that probably the most people that are listening to this podcast are there they're not regular exercisers they're not regularly eating well 
they might do it in bits and spurts, but it's not a consistent thing in their life. And I, you know, myself struggle with this, of course, like we all do. Um, but it's just giving yourself permission to not have to be an athlete, not have to be a runner, not even, not even letting it be. I think we even don't, we almost purposefully don't identify with those words because we feel inadequate. We feel like we're not a runner. We feel like, oh, I'm not a person that goes to the gym. And so then we, it's so in conflict with our identity that we can't allow it into our lives. It just doesn't even, our brain can't wrap itself around that that could have a place, but yet it's what we're called to. I really just don't believe that we can, you know, call ourselves people of, I mean, people of faith, even if, if health isn't a priority for you, I just think it's so tied together. And yeah. Can you say more about that Tynan? Oh my gosh. I mean, okay. So I, I did want to bring this up because it's so interesting. You know, that, um, you recently had a guest on your podcast that I listened to his episode twice, uh, Randall Worley. And I mean, you listen to the whole thing and it's just bomb after bomb. Your brain is exploding. <laughs> yes. I personally like, had trouble guy... with that interview. I was like, Oh God, how do I keep going? This is crazy. <laughs> right. And you're like, can I just stop? And I would stop and rewind now. Okay. So Randall talks about Adam and Eve and he talks about, um, you know, this notion of, you know, Eve being the one, or, I mean, he starts to talk about how Adam and Eve were only separated so they could procreate that mankind was always supposed to be this unified unit. And again, I'm not him. So I'm not going to be able to unpack that as well as he did, obviously. And I'm still digesting it personally. But what I thought was really interesting was that as I was processing even my own journey, I'm reading Benny Johnson's book again, I'm going through, I'm like, okay, hey, health and wellness, Lord, what is this thing? I studied it. I know a lot about it. I, you know, have done the, the thing technically, scientifically, but what's the spiritual component of it? What is the godly kind of call to it? And, and also what is the, why, why am I not in alignment with Jesus when I am unhealthy? Like, how is that connected? And what was so interesting to me is as I was talking to, or listening to Randall's thing and processing it, I go to Adam and Eve standing there side by side about to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And what just popped into my mind, and I, I think it's God, I don't know, I'm trying to still process it, but it was like the first thing that led to evil and to shame was food. And I've never once made that connection that the thing that led us into the fall was actually a piece of food. And so therefore, how can we not start to really consider how much of a difference food makes in our lives and how much God cares about food? And it just made me start to think like, we really don't give this enough credit. We don't talk enough about this in the spiritual community, in the Christian community, we, we touch on it, but we also don't hold it to a high esteem. And we especially don't talk about it when it's in dysfunction. So we, we're really good at telling each other, you know, doing as many things as you possibly can do, a sozo, an RTF, a healing, 
whatever is your, you know, bibbidi boppity boo healing ministry. I'm, I'm all for all of them. Um, but when health is one of the problems in your life, we don't ever touch it. It's very rare. And, and why is that? I also think it has to do with what, what happened in that same verse after Eve and Adam ate from the tree. It said they felt shame and they covered themselves up. And it's because the origin of shame had to do with food. And therefore, shame is so much tied to our ability to eat well or not eat well. And so I think, you know, it really started to make me go through verses of, you know, there's, you know, all these verses about, you know, if your brother sins, you know, go to them, confront them and basically bring them back into wholeness. There's, you know, there's a few different verses about what happens if someone in your life is sinning and what are you supposed to do? And we do this in the extreme cases. We've made certain sins extreme and certain ones not. And I think gluttony is the one that we've totally set aside and excused across the board and is actually a key in this season where God's like, I want you to level up your attention to gluttony because it's actually causing so much pain in people's lives. Hmm. And so, you know, I think a great place to start, read Benny Johnson's book, Healthy and Free. (laughs) I've only met her once. I don't know her. I'm not her promoter. But it was really helpful for me because, you know, she she gives such a good basis of like, God is connected to your health and your relationship to him is connected to your health. And and I I just am so interested in this. I don't know what's going to come of it. But like I said, I think there is sort of this societal groaning, right? We have this mental health thing. We have this, you know, like I said earlier, like I think 23% of, or no, sorry, 17% of people more than last year are now saying health and wellness needs to be a priority at work. Like that's a societal shift that's saying we need to prioritize this. We need more funding for it, all that stuff. And it, and it has to do with, I think it's like, I mean, gosh, I don't, I'm not usually this type of person, but I think it has to do with the preparation of the bride. God doesn't want a fat bride. And that is so crazy to say, because I'm sure there's a million people that are like, that's horrible. You're, you're a mean, mean man. But that's not my heart at all. My heart is just like, I want to see health, period. And it includes our waistlines and it includes our prayer times. Wow. So, so when you say God doesn't want a fat bride, you're not necessarily talking about the aesthetic or the shape. You're talking about something else. Or I mean, you, I think it's a both end. I don't think it's either or. It's you, both and more. Can you I unpack that more? Well, I mean, maybe what you're as, as insinuating is like a fat headed one. Is that what you're kind of trying to say? Oh, like, no, I, just, I think he doesn't want one. <laughs> What, what no, no. were you meaning in, your, yeah. in the first place? <laughs> I mean, when you say God doesn't want a fat bride, I'm trying to like think about when people are listening to this, you know, what are they thinking? What would, what are some concerns or rebuttals <laughs> people might have to that? Uh, yeah, of course. You say, I mean, uh, yeah, go ahead. I think it really is. It's like we take, we pick and choose things. And I do this in my own life. I'm not a perfect person whatsoever. Um, but it's something that I'm just trying to listen to. And I'm, you know, realizing that even my own personal story 
has led me to both the knowledge, again, like I said, the science of health and wellness, but then I also have this story as a believer who cares about that. And I'm like, how are these, why do I have this? And I'm like, this is just so interesting that God's speaking to me in this way right now, because we, you know, I, I'm connected in many ways. I, I think about it. I talk a lot about and, and hear it from all these prophets and, you know, there's all these people out there that say all these things about the world. And, you know, how many times a week could you be on an email chain from some person in the world that says God is preparing the bride. And yet I really still don't hear that God is preparing a bride that's healthy through and through, right? Like Shalom. If you like talk to anyone that speaks Hebrew, they know that the word Shalom has something to do is connected to our own physical body, health and wellness. It, you don't have shalom peace without peace in your body, health in your body, in your physicality. And so I think there's just, we can't ignore that this needs to be something that we prioritize in our life. Um, and, it, and it's just interesting that, like, even when you go and look at the, the health and wellness sort of industry, let's say, you know, the Pelotons and the soul cycles and the, you know, all that kind of world, the yoga world, even too. When you tap into those things, not, not the spiritual tap into, but just like tune into what those people are saying. What is the language they're using? Oftentimes they're listening to their bodies and they say that language a lot. It's really interesting. Like they'll be like, okay, this is intuitive eating and you need to listen to your body in order to eat well. And you need to, you know, everybody's different. God's created, they'll often even say like, God's created us uniquely. So you have to learn what foods are good for you. I think that's really key. But I think what we often forget is that God also lives in us. He's like our home, our, we're, our body is his home. We are a temple. And so there's this element of like, what it, does that also just mean something beyond just like a spiritual, you know, wishy-washy concept that's really like high level and cool to say, or could we actually get really practical about it and say like, maybe the physical body that we have to steward that we were given that God formed and shaped in the womb, maybe that's actually something that we need to tend to. You don't want to leave it messy because that's not a great place for God to live. So it's just these little things that I'm not an expert in. I'm not, this isn't my specialty. I just find it really intriguing that I don't hear a lot of this dialogue happening in the church, but I actually maybe even would argue I hear it more now in my workplace culture area that I spend a lot of time in. So I just find that that's even interesting unto itself. Like how are we neglecting our bodies even more in the church than outside of the church. That's something that we probably should address. Totally. Listen, I love that. Um, I love that you're even bringing attention to that and like articulating the perspective and like mindset about how we even like address or like consider this area. Mm -hmm. Do we, are we addressing it? Are we considering it? Are we thinking about it? Right. I love that. That's awesome. Um, Tiny, I don't like, actually- Okay, here's Benny Johnson says this, for no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and carefully protects and cherishes it. Like, I'm, I never even have heard that verse. <laughs> you know, it's just funny how we ignore these things. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, so Sorry. I didn't, I actually didn't mention this to you earlier, and I probably should have given you a warning. Warning is not the right word. 
that's scary. But um, every guest, oh, and you probably heard this, every guest on my podcast, I have them share a confession specifically in the area of their passion or their industry or their focus. Um, and this has to do more with like less your expertise or your conviction, but more like probably an area of uncertainty or even insecurity. Like I, you know, I feel strongly about this. I believe this. I stand for advocate this. However, in this area, I don't know what to do with this, or I believe this thing too, which is contradictory. <laughs> right. Do you have a confession that you want to right. share with the audience in terms of your oh direction? Okay. I did consider this question. I think I probably had a few that came up. Nice. But the one that I find probably most, it's probably most alarming and it's just the hardest for me to figure out is I, I don't know if we're supposed to have pastors like we do right now. I don't think we were ever designed to have people that had the job title of pastor. And I don't know that? what to do with that. What I, do you mean? What, I mean, how would you say to someone who's like, <laughs> what do you mean? Of course we're supposed to have pastors. What would you say to them? Why, we, why would you think that? Right. I mean, I believe we're supposed to have pastors. I think, why I said that like the operative word is job title. Okay. Um, I think there's definitely, you know, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the notion of, uh, I, I wouldn't know what the verse is like the reference, but the verse is basically saying you don't have any other teacher, but me don't call anybody a pastor, or don't call anyone a teacher. Mm. And Jesus says that. And I'm like, what do we do with that? Because I, of course, believe we're supposed to have the fivefold ministry. I think we're supposed to have apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists. Uh, like, I think these are things that are, are required. But I struggle to believe that we're a healthy church if we continue on the path of having more and more elevation of people that have that title and I, I think that we are seeing a, a mass idolization of human beings that are pastors. Mm. And I, I, I seriously struggle with that. And I don't know how to deal with it. And I don't know what the way out is. And I don't know if it means we switch to house churches. I don't know if it means that we shut down Sunday services. But I just struggle with believing that we will see true health of what God intended for his bride, body, and church to, if, if we continue down this path. So I nice. don't know if that's just like totally yeah. not a, a theologian about it. I'm, I'm, I could be easily shot down and, and happily would be, um, <laughs> but I just, you know, it comes up a lot in my brain. So yeah. I'm always oh, that's great. I love it. Tynan, I love that you think outside the box that you bring such a different perspective on things that we all just kind of take for granted or like assume or whatever, like that's so refreshing. It's really, this conversation has been really fun for me. I love how you think and the way you approach this and the humility and intentionality and thoughtfulness. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on my podcast here and for the audience too. I think I want to just thank you on their behalf. I think there are people listening to this who, you know, have probably been stimulated to think things that they've <laughs> never thought before, consider things, um, maybe just get a little nudge to get to the gym. That in and of itself is valuable. Maybe. Yeah, totally. Um, and yeah, so just, I guess I want to give you one line. We're about to wrap this up, but do you have, is there like a one sentence, like conclusive statement you want to make to the world? You're like, hey, in Mike's world, like I'm on this podcast. There's, if there's one thing I were to give you to tell you, like this will make your life better. This is important. You guys should know this or do this or believe this. 
what would that statement be? Oh man, I think I would just say that if you go one more day believing that you weren't created to be healthy, I would stop that right now. <laughs> you mean physically healthy? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Okay. I would stop that right now. <laughs> stop it. It's not the truth. You knocked that off. <laughs> <laughs> you quit it. <laughs> nice. Okay. That's awesome. Um, and Tyna, what is the name of your podcast? It's the Culturing Podcast. So culture, the full word, add I-N-G on the end. Got or it. you can just search my name, Tyne and Alan, actually. It usually works better. Okay. So you guys, Tyne and Alan, he's got the Culturing Podcast. If you want to check out more of where he's coming from on this and hear more there, you can go find him. Um, Tynan, thank you so much for being on my podcast and for sharing this these fascinating insights and convictions that I, yeah, I don't think are super popular yet, but do have rooting in value that we see in scripture. And that's been so cool to get to hear and listen to. And yeah, thank you for being on here. It's awesome. You bet Mike. And the other thing I would just mention as well, that I am starting with a group of friends is something called, we're starting it called apostle lab. And it's going to be like a series of like guided prayers and uh, it's been really fun to kind of explore even this other side of wellness, which is sort of, you know, it's come up, the, 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 the mindset and the, you know, all these apps that are about, you know, meditation. And yet we're like, where is the like Jesus version of meditation? What does that look like? So there's, we've intentionally called it the Apostle Lab because we don't know what we're doing. We're like in a laboratory exploring, experimenting and we're going to do it on this platform. Um, so we're just getting that launched. But if you want to contribute or follow along, you can just search us ApostleLab.com or ApostleLab on Instagram. So, you know, I'd love to, if anyone's really interested in that kind of area, I'd love to connect with them there too. Nice. Okay. That's awesome. Very cool. Thanks, Mike. Cool. Yeah, totally. Thanks for being here, Tynan. You guys, thanks for listening. I'm glad you guys are here for this. And, you know, some notes I'm taking away from this conversation are... Um, caring for your health and well-being physically actually makes you better in all the other areas of your life. This is not like a lesser value. It's a component of your existence, of your personhood. It's worth prioritizing. It's part of who you are. Um, get to the gym, eat healthy food. There's not going to be a good or convenient or like easy time to do it. You just have to choose that. <laughs> you got to force yourself to make that shift, but the value is there. Benny has a book out. What is it called again, Tiny? It's called Healthy and Free. Healthy and Free by Benny Johnson. Wellness for your body, soul, and spirit. Nice. Yeah, so if you guys want to get more resources, that sounds like it's a great one to check out. And um, also maybe have an important conversation with your boss if there's some adjustment that needs to be made there. <laughs> and honestly, I am happy to do, if anyone is like, I don't know how to have that conversation with my boss, Honestly, like DM me on Instagram. I'm happy to chat that through with you before you go into that conversation. Nice. And how do they get a hold of you, Tynan? Yeah, DM me on Instagram at Tynan Allen. Perfect. You guys can just DM him and he'll help you sort through that. That's awesome. Thanks, Tynan. That's super cool. Uh, (laughs) Get some DMs. All right, guys. Thanks for being on here. We'll see you next time. Um, And go take care of your bodies. Bye.
Listen, there's more where this came from. If you want to see how deep this rabbit hole goes, check out MikeMyashiro.com.